Jeff Ogilvy survives Wingfoot. Now the moment Aaron Bradley has waited. Curry Webb is the five-time Australian Open champion. Golf at its best by one of the best in golf, Peter Thompson. Stand in front of a crowd like this today and win the PGA Championship is pretty special. He's done it at last. Greg Norman. his name on the Stonehaven Cup. Leishman to 11 under. Now we've got a new leader, kids. Here is Adam Scott. A life changer. Coming up next, you have unrestricted access to golf across Australia and the world. Thanks to Golf Australia, we're going inside the ropes. Subscribe now on iTunes or your favourite podcast app or head to golf.org.au. G'day everybody, welcome to the show, it is Inside the Ropes, episode number 115, extraordinary, uh, what a week, what a week it's been, what a show we have in store for you, Zach Johnson's going to join us, Gabby Ruffles is going to join us, there is a load to get through, so without any further ado, I say day to you, Joe Charlton. Thank you, Mari. You're Good well. to be here, boys. Hello, Hazy. Hello, Mari. I sort of get the feeling that you're sort of a bit... Terse with the golfing world oh. here, and I, you you could explode. Yeah, I reckon I've calmed down a little bit after just. It was an extraordinary week. I mean, we've been how long have we been doing this show for? One hundred and fourteen episodes. <laughs> That's exactly. Well, I guess I'm going to. How many of those episodes do you reckon we haven't addressed slow players an issue? Uh, I would I would think of one. For, well, I think between straight out mentions of it as mm. a, as an issue and references to the. Uh, the Bannister Files, I would imagine it'd be around 90. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Take out the live ones, live-ish shows that we've done. Yeah, true. Yeah, Because um, we sort of refer to tournaments there. So maybe maybe 75, I reckon. Like, so you, it's a dead set issue. Do you think this is a pressure point? I do. I actually really do, Joe. I think that's the best way of describing it because we've banged on about it and I guess we're pointy heads, that's fine. But it, it reached tipping point at the weekend mm. for not only the viewers of the game and the social media um, – consumers but the players bought in for the first real time and there's some um, I'll, I'll, go, I'll go through a few in a minute there was some unbelievable sledging from players this is where social media for all of its pitfalls yeah. has actually changed the discourse around stuff like this you know players once upon once upon a time would kind of avoid well most of them in field wouldn't have a microphone stuck under their nose at the end of a round anyway and those who did were probably in that forum reluctant to um, become embroiled in anything remotely controversial. Well, the world's changed a bit now. And some of these younger players, the guys who are 30, 35 and under, they're sort of cutting their teeth in the social media era. So they know they can sort of swing away. This is kind of what social media is built for. Is built for. Yeah. And, you know, it, it, it was a borderline pylon on DeChambeau uh, for obvious reasons. He was prepared to push back and you know, there's been so many lays and all this. But but it is the good thing about it that suddenly their voices are being heard yeah. uh, and their points are being made. Maybe, if you don't mind, can you go back and paint the picture of what actually happened? Oh, well, there were two. Look, primarily there were two moments um, in, the, uh, in New Jersey where DeChambeau's snail-like um, behaviour was exposed to the world via social media. Now, in Australia, it's getting harder to see these things because it's not—it's no longer available on for, on pay TV. You've got to have the sort of the app. So there's fewer people probably than ever before watching golf on Australian TVs, which is saying something, I reckon. But that's 
by the way. So mm. the social media um, exposure to the ten, eight foot putt that took him forever to line up, he backed off four or five times and then he missed it by an inch to the right. It was a horrible part, right? So that was point one. And you, and in that shot, you could see his playing partners, Tommy Fleetwood and Justin, Justin Thomas. Thomas, clearly frustrated. They were getting edgy. You could see their body language was was telling you everything you need to know. And the other one, which which I think is has a partial out, if you want to make an out for him, a partial out with the group on the next tee hitting off. But the 70-75-yard the pitch – that he walked out walked, all yeah. the way to the hole, waited, studied, stopped, looked, thought about it. You, know, you hear people like Eamon Lynch, you hear others who bought in and went public about this. It was a very straightforward pitch. Yeah, there wasn't too much to it, but such is the nature of DeChambeau that he you know, wanted to see every blade of grass before he decided to pull a club. But yeah, I saw you copped a bit of a spray on Twitter for your stance on that, given someone you know baked you for not knowing about the hold up on the whole well, yeah, head, but, but, but it's yeah. it's that's that's true. But it's so insignificant in the big picture that there's not always a hold up on the next tee. In no. fact, by default, there's only ever one or two um, you know clutch points on the course where there's a where there's a bottleneck. Mm. You know, you you don't have bottlenecks on every every hole mm. unless you're playing behind me and I'm really spraying it around. <laughs> <laughs> so so just to that, I mean, there's any we've all played enough golf to know that if the, I don't was the sixteenth. I don't can't remember what the sequence of holes where they were playing now. But let's say the blokes on the let's say his pitch is into fourteen. It must fourteen or fifteen. Whatever hole he's pitching into, Deschambeau. Let's say the blokes on the next tee are waiting for the fairway to clear ahead. Deschambeau, they would they would have quite easily said to Deschambeau, "You go, mate. We'll we'll wait for you. We're going to wait for them to clear the fairway anyway." So if he was of a mind to play that shot quickly. He could have probably played that shot, but of he, he would have absolutely taken advantage. No, no, no. You blokes, I've got a bit of work I've got to do before this anyway. Um, so, look, we can sit here and argue the semantics of that one, but it feeds into the fact that this bloke's, um, you know, a slumbersome when he gets near the ball and, and it's starting to kill some people, you know. So we've uh, got some video out. There was a, a press conference that someone's edited the – in inverted commas, highlights out of. So it's DeChambeau confronting the media when they started to get stuck into him after the round. So here's the thing, guys. There's three other people playing out there. And I'm, I'm not the only one out there playing golf, right? Is that correct? So, for example, let me let me give you one example, guys. Jason Day and um, C.B. Williams. I played with him at WGC, Right? Guess how long it took us to play that, that round, the third round. Does anyone know? Might want to go check that out. A lot of it's the caddies. A lot of it's the other players. They don't care about walking fast. I take my 40 seconds that is allotted, sometimes over, absolutely. Totally agree. For me personally, it is an attack, and it's something that is not me whatsoever. People don't realize the harm that they're doing to the individuals. And look, this is about playing golf, right? I'm trying to enjoy my time out there and play golf in the best way possible. Yet I'm sprinting in between every single shot because sometimes playing partners and uh, caddies don't walk at the necessary speed that they need to. If you catch me out at uh, my normal golf course, I'll be playing in two and a half hours. I hate playing golf. I absolutely hate it. But when people start talking to me about slow play and how I'm killing the game, I'm doing this to that to the game, that is complete and utter you-know-what. 
That's not fair. You know, and look, I'm not really that sensitive of a guy. I don't get hurt by a lot of things. It's not like I'm throwing clubs and slamming clubs. You know, this is a, a conversation about playing golf in a certain time manner. If we really want to talk about this, if we really want to do something about this, let's look at the other people that are associated to it. So, for example, we've got two and a half minutes, two and a half, two minutes to walk to the next shot for most tour players. It's how long it takes. Go look it up. Some players take 25 seconds, 20 seconds. Cool. I take 30 seconds on average. You can look that up. So, yeah, I'm going to take a little bit longer because that's my job. I'm supposed to provide entertainment for you guys so you guys can have a, a good time watching it. That's not fair when people are putting me in a bad light, guys. I'm trying to do my absolute best. I'm trying to provide inter entertainment. And I hope that people can realize that it takes more than just me playing a shot in 30 seconds or 40 seconds for us to call it slow play. Turn it up, Bryson. I mean, fair dinkum. I'm not sure. I know he probably does... Um, meteorology as well, Andy, but I'm not sure what shower he thinks we came down in. <laughs> That's unbelievable. That's the biggest load of crap I've ever heard at a press conference, and I've heard plenty. Which, which is the biggest part of which, which part of it was sharpest to your ear? Uh, there's, there's actually two or three really poignant bits to me, but I, I, I think when he says, uh, I sprint between shots, oh, is, is the biggest single lie in my, in my ears, mm. like ringing around my very vacant head. <laughs> um, I think when he when he uh, starts rattling out other players' names as a mm. defence for his own slow play is embarrassing. Like it's really poor form and it's an admission of so many different things that he should have addressed previously. I don't know. There's there's two or three other points in there I could probably bring up too. But Joe, I hate golf. I hate playing oh, golf. God. Yeah, I know that baffles me. I think for for me broadly, he just plays a victim when he doesn't have oh. any right to play the victim. Well, point. And he's. Top 10 in the world. He's the most high-profile player in that sort of slow player ilk, if um, mm. blankly. So, he's, of course, he's going to have a target on his back, and rightly so, he should have a target on his back, and he should be leading by example. And um, Yeah, I, it just baffles me that he can't get outside his bubble, which that, we yeah. spoke about just before we, yeah. we've um, been on, on air, that he's, for all his quirks, he obviously just gets sucked into his own little world and just can't see beyond that and plays victim. It's just baffling. So, you know, he's he's clearly – so that bubble we were having a chat about before we came on here that Joey's talking about, he, you know, he has this fascinating alternate view of equipment and the game and how it is best to be played, right, which is – which is Really fascinating. Really interesting. You, said, yeah. you know, like a different viewpoint on an accepted way of doing it. Great. You know, Absolutely. like every sport mm. yep. um, needs people to challenge the kind of accepted ways of doing things. Um but I think he's gone so far into his own world that he doesn't see anything outside of that. He doesn't see the way – he has no concept of the way that he's perceived. Uh, he's clearly – I'm going to say – I was going to say clearly unpopular, but I don't really know that to be the case. But I get a sense that um, a lot of players have decided, oh, well, stuff it, I don't care enough for him to um, protect a relationship with him. I'm going to call it out. And, you know, the Kepka one is clearly the mm -hmm. most – high profile out of all of that. But I mean, it wasn't just kept. I mean, players, high profile players from either side of the Atlantic have decided to just weigh and here in Australia, you know, blokes like Scotty Hand and Scotty Gardner and heaps of Australian players have, have, have weighed in. I've got a few here that I'll read out to you. Oh, yeah, but I, yeah. I, I, you know, you mentioned Brooks Kepka. That was one of the most 
staggering turning points in this whole debate to me was obviously Kepka had said something previously. It's a great story by Eamon Lynch, by the way. Yeah, yeah. It's a really good yarn. But when he when he's sitting um, on the practice screen, DeChambeau, and he calls over Kepka's caddy and says, you know, tell tell go and tell Brooks that if he wants to speak crap about me, to do it to my face. Yeah. And that that's normally like if they're fighting words, um, that normally means people back down because they don't believe in what they've been <laughs> crapping on about. Yeah. Yep. Uh, well, that had just prompted Mr. Kepka to wander over very, very briskly in the direction of DeChambeau so and just say, what do you got? What, I'm here. I'll say it to your face right now yep. if need yep. be. Yep. That's the sort of st- – I love Brooks Kepka, by the way. I mean, I'm becoming a bigger fan. He calls too. it yeah. like it is. Yep. So I love that he did that. And, geez, I'd like to see a bit of that action, Andy, the in, scientist, a square, in a squared circle. The scientist versus the silverback, oh. as, <laughs> yeah. as Eamon Lynch was calling it. It was just a fantastic line. It really was. It really was. So, um, do you want me to read a few of these Yeah, out? go. Because yeah, you yeah. talked about the younger blokes having a say. How about this from Rich Beam? This has got to stop, in capital letters, mm. with about four exclamation marks. PGA Tour, if you don't do something about this, shame on you. As a member, I'm outraged in capital letters. You can you can to- that you can tolerate this. You talk about protecting the field, then protect it by penalising, DQing this type of behaviour. Enough yeah. in capital letters. Yep. I mean, you couldn't be stronger. No. Uh, Scott Michaud, who won't be a name known to many, but a Great long-time golf writer. Yep. golf writer for the Augusta Chronicle. Um, very measured in his words normally. Well, you hardly ever see the American press take on American uh, players. That's like, right. They rarely do, you know. Hey, Slugger White, who's the mm. uh, the referee, step the up and eject this clown. Mm. Oh, you, you, that, you don't hear that stuff. Eddie Pepperell, just look at Tommy and Justin in that picture that you were referring to earlier. So that's Fleetwood and, and uh, Thomas. Just look at Tommy and Justin, both looking completely bored. Slow players do this to their playing partners, making the game less enjoyable. Problem is, the unaffected, single-minded twit in this instance doesn't care much for others. Yeah, yeah. I mean, whack. When this is it, still Eddie Pepperell. When it's an agree, when it's as egregious as Bryson was last night, and if they're already behind, then shot penalties should be handed out. Fines don't mean anything to these guys. You'd only need to hand out a few penalties, and things would improve quickly. Uh, Luke Donald referring to that putt you did. And all, and after all that, he misread it by two cups. Yeah, it was ridiculous. Yes. You know, it was crazy. Um, Mark Hensby, um, commissioner says they don't have an issue with slow play. LOL. He's obviously got the blinders on. I mean, this is there's really blunt. The, oh, it was, these things. And, and, you've, and this is tip of the iceberg. Like you, you've read six is. or seven out there. There would have been I don't know how many. I saw thirty, forty. <laughs> Maybe 50 people of various degrees of status within the industry. These are my two favourite ones. Go on. Sorry to keep reading. No, no, no. It's good. Aaron Price, who we love, um, Aussie based in the States. This is a form of cheating in the sense that it is disadvantaging his playing partners. A threat of a stroke penalty will change everything. Protect the field. Hashtag protect the field. Hashtag 45 seconds is plenty. But this is my favourite. Ian Poulter. Andrew, uh, that's in someone else who's talking. I'm sorry you've stopped watching the PGA Tour. This is a punter who's had a gut form. There are a few players that continually disrespect their fellow pros and continue to break the rules without a conscience. It should be self-police, but clearly this won't happen. So disappointing it hasn't been stopped. I'm giving Ian Poulter a... Yeah, like, absolutely. Spot on. Yep. Um, that, And I love all these guys who actually have a bigger conscience, a bigger image... Uh, I guess, an external viewpoint of what the game is and where it affects uh, the sport as a whole. So what's Slugger Watts, you'll know this, what's his actual title? Uh, no, I don't. He's, he's, the, he's the chief uh, rules official for the PGA Tour. So, so if his view, if his position is um, 
an extension of the PGA's position, which I'm going to assume it sort of to a degree is, right? Yeah. But they might have different reasons for the position they're at. But So this is what he said. Now, now he's obviously, I don't know, you might have met him on one of your trips Once. over there. He's clearly a really highly respected yep. figure. Players like him. He's measured. He gives good um, resolution to problems. He's, he speaks their language. So, so this is all tick, 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 tick. This is why he's highly regarded within the industry. But this is what he said about it, right? I hate slow play as much as the next guy, but I can't agree with the idea of hitting players with penalty strokes. Maybe it's because I was a player once, but I envision these horrible tricky trickle-down effects. Say there's a player who barely squeezed in the top 125 of the final FedEx Cup point standings because he made a couple of thousand dollars more at a tournament than the player right behind him on the list. Imagine if he'd been hit with a one-stroke penalty at a key moment because he was two seconds over his time. Say the penalty cost him five grand. Suddenly, so far down the FedEx Cup point list, he doesn't have a place to play the following year, which in turn might mean his kid can't go to college or he can't put a down payment on that decent house. Or worse, basically means you've drastically affected the guy's life with the click of a stopwatch. I'm all for looking at fine structures, maybe increasing them, but determining his fate with a stopwatch to me is a little harsh. Slugger. No, he's a big fan of the show. Think about the 126 player. Think about the next bloke and the bloke after and the bloke after who aren't slow, who play within the rules, who don't have 800, 900, a million thousand, a million dollars a year to pay your feeble fines. Think about them, mate. I mean, JB Holmes, this is urban myth, I'm sure, but JB Holmes budgets for the fines. Oh, this is a, that's that's a fact. Is it a fact? Yeah, it's a okay. fact. It's yeah. a fact. That's the first I've heard. So he that. budgets. Really? He puts 100 grand aside or a figure per figure. year, knowing he's going to get slow play fines. Yeah, what? Well, it makes no difference to G. Not going to change the way he plays at all. So, Slugger, everybody in the world is saying, and this is in it by extension of the PGA Tour, everybody in the world saying, we've got a problem with this. But you blokes have got your head in the sand about it. Finding these blokes, even if you're the 125th player on the FedEx Cup standings, you've got enough money to pay for the fine. You don't care about a fine for slow play. Everybody's telling you what needs to happen. Warning, stroke. Two-stroke, DQ. See you later. And maybe you're not playing next week. You've got to get fair income about this. or or And you watch. They'll all change. They'll it, all change. So... It, my understanding of this... Just on that, who were we speaking... We were speaking to... We were speaking to Bryden McPherson a couple of weeks ago. Oh, yeah. And he's changed. He's knocked... He's worked hard at it. More than half of his time. Yeah. It was like 30 seconds or something. We yeah, can we do went it. 152 yeah, to under 20. Yeah. You can do it, you know? Uh, the reason I get really wound up about this, Andy, is is not... I couldn't give a stuff if JB Holmes personally takes eight minutes over a shot or 26 seconds over a shot, for, you know, on a given hole. I could, but yeah, for, the, yeah, for the yeah, argument's yeah. sake here. It's the kids watching. It's what happens at your club. It's all the trickle-down effects here. Mm. So I feel sorry for the bloke who misses um, you know, misses out in his college career for his kid or whatever, absolutely. But it's so inconsequential in the bigger picture. So when you go down to your club this weekend, you might be listening on the radio now and driving out there now. Think about how long it takes your round to go uh, this weekend or this Wednesday or whatever. Just think about it big picture for a minute. If this round takes you four hours and 20 minutes, you're officially kidding yourself. Uh-huh. And I guarantee you it will because that's the now the norm. Well, Cam Percy. So, so before you came, yeah. so, so I know of one club where they actually graph the timings of the players so that people can actually see what goes on. And every week there's a, there's a you know, a 345, 346, 344, 345. 
And it gets to a spot where there's four old dudes uh, who just play at their own pace. Mm. And it's the sixth or seventh group out for the day. And they play in four hours, 28. And yep. well, guess what happens to every other poor bugger yep. behind them yep. for the rest of the day? Yep. This impacts kids. This impacts all well, women, it's a barrier to entry. Trying, we know it, that massive time barrier. is Everything. one of the key barriers to entry into golf. So you say so to your husband or your wife. keep it out, it's just going to get worse and worse. Yeah, and your husband or your wife, you go to them and you say, do you mind if I go down to the club? I'll be, I'll be back in seven hours. Well, what do you, what do you expect them to say? Yeah. And it's up to every club to actually police this. And, but by the same token, the members aren't going to want to stay at a club where they get yelled at by their pro or their, um, a marshal who's a mate or whatever. Mm. So it's, it's a really complex thing. So it's a, an issue that we have to address collectively. And it needs to come from the top. It does. I, no, it's not no, about the bottom line on the PGA Tour. It's yep. about some kid watching Bryson DeChambeau take two and a half minutes over a three-meter putt and think that's the right thing to do. Come on. Come on, Bryson. So Cam Percy uh, put out a tweet. My son is playing the junior club championship. His playing partner averages, averages 15. Oh, hello. I've just, oh, what have I done? I've just pushed the settings button. It's popped up. Hang on. Hang on I've lost the tweet. Here you go. <laughs> My son is playing the junior club championship. His playing partner averages, averages 15 practice putting strokes and repairs seven to eight pitch marks on the green for a 15 foot putt. The game's in good hands with a couple of crying, <laughs> tear-falling emojis. So, you know, so to your very point, um, it, it is a trickle-down. They're make, role models and, yeah, and exactly. we've all been there. We yep. all idolise our yep. our role models as kids. So do you, you said pressure point before. Do you, from where you're sitting, do you reckon this has reached a point where something will be done as a result of this? I think so. I think the groundswells come from the players and that's the key. So if the governing bodies are too scared to penalise the players, which – seemingly sounds like they're t- too scared to, you know, potentially um, disrupt their livelihood. Conversely, if the players are saying we want this, then just let's just go and do it. Is, it- is penalty with st- stroke penalty for second breach in round, is that too harsh? I don't I don't think so. You've got one warning. It's, a, yeah. it's pretty black and white. It's pretty clear. Matt Griffin, Andy. Joey, get rules officials to put slow players on notice pre-round that they're being watched and can get a slow play penalty at any time regardless of group's position. They remain on notice until tour is satisfied they're no longer slow. CT Pan, no warnings. When a group is a hole behind, the rule officials should time individually to find out who the slow ones in the group are and put them on the clock. More importantly, it should be shot penalties, not fines. Great. It's very black and white in the players' eyes. Yeah, I agree. It feels like there's an acceptance amongst those who know it's not going to affect them mm. um, because and, they play appropriately. And those that who it does affect, they will just change their ways. Of course they'll they will. have to. Of course they will. <laughs> so yep. it's just That's a matter it. of just yep. Yep. black and white. It, it, it's just it, it's just an epidemic that needs yeah. an answer. And so uh, I, I feel really um, poorly that the PGA Tour um, doesn't care about something until it affects their bottom line. Well, this is the tipping point, as mm. you mentioned, Joe, um, might be the, the time when mm. enough players are prepared to make a negative story out of it that they need yeah, to act. spot on. But you can't expect the rules officials to get caught in the middle here because they're getting instructions from above. Correct. And they'll yep. get grief from the players on the course. So it needs to come from the top brass. Mm-hmm. And they need to have a big picture look at the sport. Yep. It's, so, to me, agreed. it's as simple as that. So let's wait and see what happens. And it's really sad because we've just spent 10 minutes or whatever talking over – 
some of the great golf stories. Well, yeah, who who's caught up with you? Someone's already. Did you catch up with? Who's caught up we, with? We Gabby? both did. Yeah, we both so, did. Lucky enough, yesterday, it was two hours after she'd um, yeah. come off the thirty-sixth hole. It's very exciting. I think it's been a great year for female sport in general. It if really you want has. to go a bit broader than just golf, but obviously Greeny and and Gabby this year in the golfing circle. But then you throw in Ash Barty, Sally Fitzgibbons, the surfer. It's, it's been a tr- tremendous year to watch. Lots of great stories to to celebrate. So. Yes, we will we'll speak to Gabby soon. Um, and uh, to be honest, I suppose it was – I think we were all a little bit su- surprised. Yeah. Um, but probably not also surprised at the same time. The more that I've sort of had time to sort of digest it. She's such a – she was always such a natural. And she had this intensity. She was a – and she still has this intensity, I believe. Stace Peters will back me up there. Where she – nothing gets in her – nothing gets in her way. She knows where she's – where she's headed. And um, – it's just been a remarkable climb because she's only been playing for Hazy six years, five, six years. She picked up golf sticks as a fourteen-year-old and played her first competition round as a fifteen-year-old, and she's nineteen. It's just done. It's an unbelievable story. It, it, yeah. really, it is. really is an unbelievable story because this this is um, you know you could do that and maybe win it. She's a member at Victoria and proud member at Victoria Golf Club, by the way. Um, I had great support for her during the week. That was awesome. Mm. Um, you could, you know, win a chook run or win a club championship or something. You could freak something. This is the US Women's <laughs> Amateur Championship. This is where all the great players make their mark. No Australian's ever done it before. No Australian. Yeah. First time she's ever played in it. Yeah. First time she's ever qualified in it. And oh, she's taken geez. it out. But her ability to – there's something to be said for – obviously, we've, we've all seen the putt now. Um, but there's – you can find, even if you didn't watch it and you don't have um, golf TV – there's several shots you can find on in social media um, forums. Her ability to make a shot when she had to, staring down like her opponent's got it knocked it knocked it within knocked it to within say twelve feet. Mm. Well, she knocks it to within eight. Mm. Like she just this. You talk about intensity. The that married with the ability to calmly execute. Uh, they are. They are hellacious qualities. A to very have. dynamic duo. Oh yeah, she was <laughs> yeah. so. I couldn't be more excited. And I, there's no certainty, and we'll ask you about this. But there's no certainty that she's going to, you know, go on and be a professional golfer mm. because she's got her head screwed on correctly, and she's not going to be like so many others who uh, flash in the pan uh, at a good amateur stage of their career, turn pro, and you never hear them again. Mm. She's going to finish her studies first and mm. see where she goes. I, I'm, I'm confident that she'll be a great pro, but she's got her head on properly. It's sort of, you know what, it, for the here and now, it doesn't matter. No, it doesn't I mean, to, this achievement is yeah. so triumphant in and of itself that you just let, you just dwell on this for a while and soak it in because it's just a, it is a genuinely remarkable sports story. I mean, women, the women's game, you mentioned Hannah Green. The Japanese girl who wins the British Open the previous week. Shibuno. She's an unbelievable yeah. story. Like an unbelievable yeah. story. Really and now a week later, Gabby Ruffles comes out in the amateur ranks and produces an equally unbelievable story. Like, it's just phenomenal stuff. Like truly phenomenal stuff. And I um, can't wait to hear her. So. It, it's, it's good that it, it was so good that it alleviates my inner angst about yeah, I, that other I understand. stuff. I know what you mean. I know exactly what you mean. Uh, the other headline item of the week before we get to a break, and we'll tidy up all the rest of the stuff after we hear from 
Uh, Gabby Ruffles and Zach Johnson, who's going to join us after that. It's a fair show, by the way. Plus uh, a big quiz coming up for oh, the you, big qu- When's that going to happen? At the end uh, of the show? In, towards right, the end I'm of the show, terrified yeah. about this. Um, <laughs> Steve Williams, speaking of so, slow play, so Bryson DeChambeau <laughs> wanted to pot Steve Williams and Jason Day, and rightfully so. I mean, Jason Day's been front and centre when it comes to slow play conversations for a long time. So he's got some issues, you know, he probably needs to address, particularly if the landscape changes, but... They won't be having issues to address together anymore. No, uh, six tournaments into a what will be qualified as a fairly disastrous relationship. No, not disastrous. That's going too Very far. Short but innings. It, yeah, it's a, it's just a. Um, there's a lot of hot air really in the mm. end about what that could be. They started in a blaze of publicity, basically saying, "Steve's ordered me to get better. I will get better." Jason Day says, "You know, I need to knuckle yeah. down and find it, find out what it is that." Um, will help me get the best, the most out of myself, whatever that is. Well, Steve Williams has obviously assessed that um, fairly harshly, I'd say, in the in the week subsequent to the US Open, which is their first t- tournament, and two missed cuts and four other relatively flat showings, and they're gone. So Steve will be back to racing cars. I don't reckon it'll be his greatest loss. And, um, you know, I think that says probably more about, unfortunately, probably says more about Jason Day than anything. So what's the biggest split-up story of the week? Um, Steve Williams and Jason Day or Miley Cyrus and <laughs> Liam Hemsworth. knew you were going there. <laughs> Miley Cyrus and Liam Hensworth, which is the biggest. Everyone's been really cut up about this, isn't it? Yeah. It's a celebrity marriage. They never they never last. They? I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> I seriously have yeah, got no you idea. Know. I bet you do. You're closet Miley Cyrus fan, I bet you are. Uh, right, let's get a break out of the way. I reckon, would Gabby Ruffles be a fan of, if only we were talking to her live, we could ask her that question. She'd be shattered about it. <laughs> she'd be all over right? it. She'd be all over it. <laughs> Actually, she might not be. Any single female could be very excited about the fact that He's available. Liam Hemsworth is available. Yeah, well, any young fella out there, don't get too excited because I think Miley's flipped over the other side, hasn't she? Oh, I hadn't heard that. I believe no, that's right. what's happened. Anyway, stand to be corrected on that. <laughs> Sorry, Hazy. These are strange days, Hazy. Well, not that strange, actually. It's modern world. Um, no, that, that we're talking about Liam Hemsworth. We're just talking about great breakups. Just uh, great breakups, mate. I'm okay. sure Liam Hemsworth likes a game of golf. You reckon? Well, they're pretty keen sports fans, aren't they? They're Hemsworth boys. I don't know. Probably plays up there at Byron Bay with his brother. Lovely beer garden at that guy. I like it. We should rank the top 10 golf club beer gardens at some stage. Yeah, we should. That's a better topic. Ooh. Because that is a very nice spot to have a beer. Have you ever played up there, Byron Bay? Uh, no. No, no. I, have. I played up at a, a tiny little country course, but not, not actually oh, yeah. Byron. Have you played yeah. there? No, I haven't. Oh, no, the grassy beer garden out the front of the clubhouse is pretty special. Grassy beer garden. Sounds yep. very Byron. No, very nice. <laughs> it does. Uh, anyway, we, we digress. Uh, Gabby, As we tend to do. We do, occasionally. Uh, Gabby Ruffles to join us on the other side of this. You're listening to Inside the Ropes. Hi, I'm Minji Lee, and I'm proud to be an ambassador for My Golf, Australian Golf's National Junior Program. One of my favourite things about coming back to Australia is seeing all the kids getting into golf. My golf is every Aussie kid's first step on their golfing pathway. It's all about fun and friendship, learning golf and life skills in a safe and healthy environment. So, if your child is between 5 and 12 years old, be sure to find a program near you at mygolf.org.au. Welcome back to Inside the Ropes, and I'm sure you can tell by my voice, Joe, that this is one of the more proud moments I've had on this show we give the absolute pleasure to announce the U.S. Women's Amateur Champion, Gabby Ruffles, is joining us. The first ever Aussie. Unbelievable. Gabby, welcome <laughs> to the show. We we couldn't be more proud. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. 
Uh, I've been saving this and hoping that one day we might get this. I didn't expect you to do it so quickly. It's, um, you know, you're only 18 months or so into your collegiate career. This is an incredible performance to, to scale a mountain that no one has from Australia before, as Joe mentioned. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a crazy ride this week. And, um, yeah, when I heard, I think you you told me, Hazy, that no one had ever won before from Australia, and it, um, it kind of fueled me this week. And um so glad I was able to do it. Well, you, we're speaking to you on Monday. Um, it's, um, we're, we're recording this more broadly on Tuesday, so you're, you're only a few hours removed from um, from the actual victory, has it had any chance to sort of sink in what you've accomplished yet or not yet? I wouldn't imagine it has. No, not really, not yet. It's still, as I keep saying, it's still kind of a blur. Um, especially the last kind of couple holes, it's still kind of kind of a blur. But um, no, I'm I'm just so stoked right now. It's uh, it's amazing. Definitely um, one of the biggest wins, the biggest win of my amateur career and. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just stoked. Can you run us through those last few holes? Like you, I think it was four birdies in the last five, if I'm, if I'm correct. You swapped over your caddy, <laughs> which I think oh throws a, another <laughs> sort of mental battle in, in, in the mix. Can you run us through that? What was going through your head? Right. You're tired, exhilarated, nervous. What was going on? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so on 14, my caddy told me, I mean, he told me before the round, but, um, on 14 is when he made the switch. So for personal reasons, he kind of had to um, head back to LA. Um, so my mom came to me with um, a girl called Blair. Um, she was my friend. I didn't really know her. I kind of knew her from college a little bit. And my mom was like, um, Blair is here. Um, she knows the course really well. She plays at Mississippi State, which is an old Waverly is their home course. Um, so she's like, do you want her on the bag? And and that split second, I was like, yes, <laughs> I will have her. Because I thought I needed someone to kind of calm me down in such a stressful moment. And she was the perfect person. She was so um, bubbly and nice. And we talked about everything but golf. And it kind of got my mind off it, which was nice. So it was awesome having her. And then um, on 15, 15 was a pretty big hole. Um, I was one down at that point. We both birdied 14. And I had a four. Uh, four iron into the green and she um, hit it in the bunker my opponent Albain and I hit a pretty good four iron I hit it to about 25 feet and then um, two putted for birdie uh, to win the hole and then 16 we kind of both kind of messed up a little there we both uh, squared with bogey Um, and then 17 the pin was kind of tucked to the left and I just thought just be aggressive um and I'm glad it worked out because it could have been kind of disastrous. But, um, no, I'm, I'm glad that worked out. I hit it to about 10 feet and then managed to sink the putt um, to go one up onto 18. And then, yeah, I mean, on 18, I had, like, a really slippery putt down the hill to win it. Um, to be honest, wasn't really expecting to make it. Kind of just wanted to... Um, to put it but I don't know somehow it went in and <laughs> on the last roll and at that moment I just I lost it. I was so happy so I mean bringing the last four four out of five was super special we'll come back to 17 in a moment mm. Gabby but I want to Justin Falconer who I know you know put up a tweet a little while ago mm-hmm. um of something pretty amazing in the background of your 
putt on the hill beside the 18th green. Have you seen your mum's reaction to the winning putt? You know, I just saw that like five minutes ago, and I was laughing so hard. <laughs> I did not know that she did that. That was so so typical of my mom, but no, that was cool. She's been such a big support, so that was awesome. That, that little blue uh, seat that she carries around everywhere, that's seen a hell of a lot of golf in the last decade. It has. I think it's kind of gotten a little famous. I think everyone, a lot of people have... Uh, kind of copied my parents off that they uh they really like that blue seat <laughs> <laughs> so go back let's go back one hole back to the uh back to the 17th now you you did the same in the morning it's a back left pin with water up the left um did was that in your game plan the whole week because i know you didn't get to the 17th a few times in match play but were you always going to take that on if that's where it was on the sunday because they were two unbelievable shots mm. yeah so on 17 i actually the pin was never left for the whole week and never that far left either. Um, so I was, it was definitely surprising and the tees were back a little bit too. So it was a tough hole. Um, and yeah, I mean, in the morning round I hit six iron and I knew, um, I knew that six iron was a good club in the afternoon too. So I was confident over, it. I knew it was the perfect club and I just kind of set up and swung and it kind of turned out. <laughs> It certainly did. I'll, I'll, now I don't know if you've read this because I imagine your phone has blown up, has it? It has. I've been receiving a lot of support, which is nice. <laughs> um, so there's one particular, <laughs> one particular tweet I want to ask you about because, you know, you can get Muppets like me calling you or, or Joe texting you. Not that you're a Muppet, Joe, but there's one from Sometimes. There's one from, there's one from a lady. You might have heard of her. Her name's Kari Webb. Did you see that one? Yes. I have heard of her, but no, um, no, it was it was awesome. So, yeah, that that was such a cool tweet. Um, it kind of gave me chills. It was awesome. Um, she also sent me. She's been um, kind of direct messaging me throughout the week too, um, which has been really cool to see from a legend like her. So when the the I don't know what I want to call her. Let's call her the goddess of Australian golf. I can't think of a better word right now. She's the she's the guru of Australian golf. When she says this is what for those who didn't see it, this is what was tweeted. When I grow up, I want to hit my irons like Gabby Ruffles. When the best golfer arguably in Australian history says that, what does that mean to you? Uh, it's probably the biggest compliment ever. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that was that was pretty cool. She's been great all week. Um, as I said, she's been messaging me kind of throughout yeah. the whole week. Um, uh, so, yeah. Um, it's, it's been awesome. She's, she's a great person. I got to meet her, um, maybe three years ago at the Australian open. And, um, ever since then, she's kind of kept up with my golf, kept up with my game. And, um, yeah, that tweet was pretty awesome. So your game's taking you over to the U S now. So you've 18 months, as Hazy said, uh, in the college system over there. Um, and in, in, like, I think in our view back home, we've just seen it, like it hasn't just grown it's kind of like almost just like climb mount everest in yeah. the last sort of 18 months what's mm-hmm. what's been the the secret yeah. what um what's going on over there because it's just been just so wonderful to to watch you become an all-star and here now being the first australian as a uh, u.s amateur champion yeah I, I definitely think i can credit um my improvement to my team at usc mm. um we just kind of added a new girl in uh the fall of last year 
And um, so there was six really competitive girls on the team and five get to travel each week. So I think um, right now all six of us are ranked like in the top 80 in the World Amateur Golf ranking. So um, it's pretty competitive between all of us. And week in, week out, uh, we knew that our spot was kind of on the line almost. And if, if we played, if we didn't play great, then we knew another girl was going to come in. Um, so it just kind of pushed us to work harder. Um, it was it was a really healthy, competitive environment in our team, and I really feel like I can kind of attribute that to to my improvement. Now I I know pretty much I'm pretty sure how you're going to answer this because um, I know that there are people who knock your accent um, and and the yeah. un-Australian nature of your accent, um, <laughs> but they don't know that you know you hold home very dearly, don't you? Still. I do. I definitely do. Yes, I don't have an accent, but I feel like I did a little when I was there. I mean, my brother has a stronger one, but um, yeah, I definitely kind of lost it since I've been over here. But um, yeah, I still call Australia home. It's where I uh, it's where I grew up playing golf. Um, the support from Australia has been incredible, and um, yeah, I definitely have the Australian flag next to my name with pride. So um, definitely, Australia is my home. Ah, oh, got a tear in my eye. <laughs> Me too. Um, <laughs> Gabby, you uh, you've you've done magnificently this week, but it's not just the thirty-six hole final where where newcomers to the women's amateur probably see you for the first time. But this is a torch test, isn't it? It's a real marathon, including practice rounds. It's been a hell of a time in the deep south in the deep heat of summer. Yeah, I mean, as I said before, I played eleven rounds. At this uh, at this golf course, and it was, yeah, it was hot out there. Um, so kind of maintaining my energy levels was kind of a challenge. And um, I told my mom, like, kind of throughout the middle of the 36-hole final, I was I was feeling it, and um, I was kind of getting a little dizzy. My concentration was kind of off. Um, but yeah, somehow kind of got a new uh, new gear on 15 and. Um, kind of got a new energy on 15. I think the adrenaline kind of kicked in and that kind of all, uh, the tiredness kind of went. But um, no, I, I can definitely say that it's been a long week and I'm looking forward to some rest for sure. Now, 11 rounds in a very, very short period of, of time. You speak about adrenaline or is there something that has prepped you for that? Maybe not. I mean, 18 months over in the collegiate system, uh, was it your first time playing the U.S. Amateur as well? Yes. So your first time you've you've been there. Yes, it was my first time. Yep. <laughs> was what what mm-hmm. what held you together when yeah you you you're exhausted um, coming down down that straight? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just kind of told myself um, this is the biggest amateur tournament, and you'll be sorry later if you kind of let it get to you. And it was just kind of mind over matter, really. Um, yeah, I just told myself, you'll be sorry later. Mm-hmm. And, uh, um, it was all, it was all worth it in the end. I really had to kind of dig deep, um, look for another gear and push myself and, um, definitely glad I did. <laughs> yeah, you've always struck me as someone that's always had that extra gear. You're, um, that competitive side of you is, um, quite something, something to watch. Mm-hmm. And then, but I know, um, in times gone past where, uh, I've been lucky enough to sort of, uh, play with you and um, take you away on a few, few trips mm-hmm. and, and the like. 
You also mentioned you really love the sort of the social elements of golf and that was what really drew you into the game. Mm-hmm. Can you tell um, the broader audience a little bit more about that? Yeah, so I think one thing that kind of drew me away from tennis was the kind of um, kind of cutthroat um, kind of atmosphere. You're playing one-on-one against an opponent and um, they're your rival and you don't really want them to do well and um, because you want to win, of course. But um, today, um, playing against Albain, who's one of the most nice and classy people in golf, um, she, um, we were saying good shot to each other, and um, yeah, we were having conversations, we were laughing mm-hmm. with each other, and we just had a great time out there, and it was super friendly, and um, that, that's what I feel like is what golf kind of, the culture of golf kind of provides, is that um, you can say good shot to your opponent and, and you can be nice and you can root for them. And they're not really your opponent because you're playing the golf course. And that's, mm-hmm. that's something that I really like as well. So you're not playing against someone else. So you can be nice. And, you know, as you said, like that social atmosphere is something that really attracted me towards the game. Perfect advertisement for the sport. Gabby, I know you had your, you know, a great taste of um, the major scene this year. You got to go down to Charleston and mm-hmm. play the U.S. Women's Open. This one today has opened up a lot of those doors for you, hasn't it? It's going to be a big 2020. I know. It's awesome. Actually, they told me kind of straight after that I was in four out of the five majors or something like that. Wow. So, um, And also the uh, Augusta Women's Amateur, which is pretty cool. So, um, yeah, it definitely has opened a lot of doors and can't wait. Ryan's going to be headless that you've beaten him to Augusta. I know. I got something on him, finally. <laughs> oh, that was going to be my last question. Who's got bragging rights now? I think I do for now, yes. but I'm expecting good things. He's on He's on a good path, so we'll yeah, see. Yeah, right. <laughs> yes, mate. Well, you've cost us all an absolute truckload of sleep this past week, so we better let you get some of your own. Really appreciate your time on Inside the Ropes. And as a country, we're very, very proud of you. Thanks so much, guys. Thank you. Fantastic uh, chat, you two, and great for Gabby to give us some time. So you, you've known her for a while. You've seen, you, you've taken her away, and you've had some amateur success with her as part of a team. Tell us what she was like back then. You mentioned intensity earlier. Give us a 360-degree picture of Gabby Ruffles. <laughs> right. No, no, intensity is probably almost the, the perfect word for, for Gab. Uh, her hard work ethic shone through from a really, really young age. Like, so my first trip with Gab was up to Royal Queensland for an interstate series. I was on my last leg. She was sort of, (laughs) I literally was. (laughs) And she was sort of coming into the fold at at, at that stage. And she just had a, um, she was probably three, four, five years ahead of the girls at similar sort of age. She sort of of thought about things slightly differently. And I think that that makeup probably stemmed from, from her tent, from her tennis days, mm. so we all know the ruffle ruffle story. But she was a bit of a child prodigy in the, in the tennis ranks, and just simply fell out of love with with the game, and was drawn to golf, as she says in in the interview, for the sort of the social sort of um, companionship elements mm. that it provided her, which then probably stems into having now eighteen months in the in the collegiate system. I think that that fostering environment that she's coupled with her hard work ethic. The facilities on show, the sort of natural competition that they get week in, week out, um, natural competition between teammates. I think she also mentions that um, in that chat where she talks about, the, I think they've got 
six players, uh, I think in the top top 80, and they're all contending for the top five spots. So every week she's competing just with her teammates mm. just to get into the team. And then that flows on to obviously um, more broad competition. So coupled, yeah, her work ethic, uh, loving, I think she loves the sport. Uh, she's fell in love with the sport. Mm. And um, she really enjoys that sort of competitive environment. I reckon I, this might be completely wrong, but I vaguely recall reading somewhere in the past week, Andy, that her stroke average this year at USC was a shot and a half better per round, which is a huge, huge, huge drop yeah, yeah. Um, than it was last year. So you know, she is on the right trajectory. Did she always have a sophisticated game? Like her, the brother can play part of his problem, I think, is that he, he can kind of play every shot. You know, he needs to kind of... He's got, he'll get there. But did she always have, you know, this, the ability from an early sort of juncture to kind of play every shot? She's as natural as Ryan. Yeah, yeah. no, no, most certainly. Women will probably never be able to do the, have the shot making capacities as, as men do. That's mm, just, yeah. that's the force of nature. We just don't swing it as hard. Um, but she's as natural. You look at them side by side and you go, the kid, this kid's been playing for. Yeah, right. This, this she, kid came out with a golf club. Yeah, she understands <laughs> in a, in mechanics and the swing. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Everything yeah, just yeah. looks in place. There'll be little things I'm sure that they sort of tweak as they go along, but it, it looks very effortless. Mm-hmm. A natural thought process, like for her to attack the pin on the 35th hole, yeah. back yeah. left pin, water, just that was the pure that, golf. As great as the putt was. Yep. To win it, it was that shot that I reckon oh, yeah. gives you everything you need to know. Just sends a shiver down the spine. That mm. just that you, you hope because the, the the stock position for a lot of golfers there is to put it in the middle of the green and yep. two putt and just take your chances somewhere. Yep. Yep. That's not Gabby Ruffles. Uh, great chat, uh, and again thanks to Gabby for coming on the show. We'll clear a break. Uh, the big nose just keep rolling today. Zach Johnson going to join us on the other side of the break. You're listening to Inside the Ropes. The Golf Australia website is now the place to go to look up your handicap and so much more. Whether you're out and about on your phone or in the office trying to avoid work, just go to golf.org.au and punch your golf link number into the box at the top of the homepage. Who knows, maybe that last round was just good enough to put you in single figures. While you're on the site, check out the daily golf results at your club, view our course index for up-to-date ratings, read the latest golf news from home and abroad, listen to Australian golf podcasts and interviews and watch video tournament highlights or tips to improve your game. It's everything a golf tragic could want. Visit golf.org.au today. The home of Australian golf. Welcome back to Inside the Ropes. And Joey, it's not very often I get to say this, but we're absolutely chuffed to have a dual major champion join us on Inside the Ropes today. And Zach Johnson, welcome along to the program. Hey, thanks, guys. Appreciate you having me. It must that you must never tire of hearing that as an introduction. No, no. Uh, it is a it is a distinct honor and pleasure to hear that. Um, you know, uh, it makes you reflect a little bit, but then more so, it it, it might motivate you more to have a three time instead of a duel. So, uh, you know, you're never you know as a competitor, you're never content. We've we've caught you with the tools down. Your your season on the PGA Tour is at an end. Is it is that something? Um, before we talk about why you're really here, is that something that's biting you right now? Yeah, it is. I mean, again, as as a as a professional and as a competitor, it it stings. Um, very disappointed. Very uh, as as I reflect back on the year, just 
you know, a lot of uh, just poor play that's very frustrating. Um, but then also on the flip side, motivating, knowing that, you know, I, I feel like some of the things we're doing are really good. It just hasn't shown up yet. Uh, and when it does come to the surface, I think it'll be really good. So, I, you know, I, I have to, uh, uh, to, to turn it into a positive. I got some time off now to really get my body right, to get some practice done and then hit the 2000, I guess you'd say 20 season uh, in late September uh, and get off to a good start. So that's kind of where my mindset is. And then I think it's a good one. I mean, I'm just trying to uh, remain positive. And there's probably still plenty to look forward to, maybe in a different sort of um, shape and form. Obviously in the latter half of the year, we're going to be welcoming you down under in Australia as one of the vice captains of the the U S team. How's that shaping up and how are you feeling about that? Yeah, I mean, it's, again, like I said, honor. It, it, anytime you're able to, you know, represent your country and, and certainly, uh, you know, play, it, it's a, it's phenomenal. But if you don't have that ability and you, you, you can still, uh, you know, again, serve, uh, which I enjoy doing, and serve this country, serve this team and all the players that represent it, uh, specifically Captain Woods, uh, I'm going to mm-hmm. take, I'm going to take advantage of that and certainly, uh, uh, you know, be there uh, if called upon. I mean, I, I'm I'm ecstatic. Uh, I'm so excited to get down to Australia, especially that time of year. I think it's going to be terrific and on a, on a in a great city and, and on a great venue. So I, th- I think the uh, you know this come to, coming this December, it's going to be fantastic. I, I think our team's shaping up nicely and a lot of positives. Before we ask you about the team, Zach, you, if I'm, my memory mm. serves me correctly, I don't think you were part of the 2011 team, but you've been part of so many other President's Cup and Ryder Cup campaigns, for that matter. Um, what, what, what was 2011? Because that's sort of, you know, right in the middle of what your career's been, and it's been mm. so epic. What, what, what happened at that time? Well, no, I appreciate that. that you know, it, it, it was, uh, it was just, it was a, it was a valley. Uh, Fortunately, it was a small valley, but it was a valley that uh, kind of got the best of me that year. Um, yeah, I mean I, that that one that's one that I I look back on and certainly feel like I had a great opportunity to make that team. I was probably in the realm of discussion, but you know I just didn't didn't play well enough. So um, you know, fortunately, our team that went down there uh, was in good form, and we came out with a W. I, I will say, you know. You know, I, like you said, I've, I've been fortunate to represent this great country uh, numerous times in cups, specifically four Presidents' Cups. And uh, you know, I, I think the other players and even captains would say, anytime you have the ability and the distinct pleasure to play for this team, you're always a part of the team. So you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to make light of the fact that I didn't make that team, but I will say, even though I wasn't a part of it playing, I still felt like I was that was my team. And, uh, you know, I watched every second of it. It was just, unfortunately it was on my couch instead of in person. (laughs) So, uh, you know, this year I'll have the the luxury of, you know, witnessing, uh, some great golf. And I suppose team golf, uh, for mine, if I could, uh, in a personal opinion, is probably the ultimate outside of of the majors. And it's just that extra dimension that you talk about. You're, you're known, for being a great strategic player. I'm really interested in a, in a team sense. Obviously, there's obviously st- strategic elements around Royal Melbourne. It's a great test of golf. But strategically, mm. as, a, as, a, as a team, I'm really interested to get sort of inside the ropes from in your perspective there. 
Yeah, yeah. No, I, that's a great question, Jay. I mean, I, I think you know, the President's Cups and the Ryder Cup, any, any sort of team format, just it, it brings out certainly some of the worst in you, but more so it, it, these upper echelon players around the world, regardless of the team, it brings out the best in them. Mm. And that's what you see so many fantastic shots. And you've got 24 players, right? You don't have a, a full field. So it's unbelievable how much, how quality the golf is year in, year out. Uh, and and we're, I, I know and I'm confident we'll witness that again here in 2019 at Royal Melbourne. I, I think uh, what I appreciate about it is, is, the, is the strategy, like you mentioned, that goes into it. I mean, I love the process of trying to figure out the team, you know, who you paired with, why, the the way the course lays out hole by hole, uh, all of that, all the ingredients that you kind of got to, you know, have in front of you before you, you know, complete your, your meal, if you will. Uh, I, I just, I love what it takes to kind of, uh, you know, put that together. Um, but I will, I will say all that. And I think the beauty of this phenomenal game and what I've learned is that, you know, you can, you can hash it out. You can, think about it you can maybe even get the statistics of it and kind of really you know dig deep into it but the beauty of it is is that it's still just golf and you don't have to change your game regardless of the situation you're on that team for a reason whatever you have that got you there is what you need to bring and it will work if if, if you're efficient so um it's pressure packed it, 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 but it, as a competitor you want that i mean it's you know, you hear the cliches of it's like having, you know, coming down the strikes of a major every shot. Well, there may be some shoot that, but that's that's fantastic. I mean, that's what you want. That's why you practice. That's why you work. That's why you sweat. And uh, the President's Cup, uh, it just brings out the best in everybody. Zach, uh, we're operating under strict instructions from Ernie Els to uh, make sure that we're <laughs> extremely pro-international here. Um, this is the course of, uh, as, you, <laughs> as you well know, that's um, the home of the only win for the international team. And we pushed you guys pretty hard back in 2011 oh. at the same venue. And Fred Couples, your fellow vice captain, oh. was obviously the, the captain at that time. What do you know about uh, Royal Melbourne yourself? And, and what have you discussed through uh, in conversations with Freddie and Tiger and Steve Stricker? Sure. No, I mean, you're right. I believe it was, uh, oh gosh, what would it have been, 98? Is yep, that right? That's right. Mm-hmm. And the the international team, yeah, played really well. And uh, I mean, I think, if I'm not mistaken, talking to some of the guys on the team, it was, um, they may have tried to make somewhat of a comeback, but it really wasn't very, it, wasn't, it really wasn't close. I mean, the, the international play was just fantastic. So, yeah, I guess it's one to one there, right? So I guess this is kind of like a rubber match of a sort. <laughs> um, uh, I mean, I, I don't know if you coined it that way, but it, you know, it's one to one on Royal Melbourne. What, what I what I know about Royal Melbourne, and I've done some studying, and certainly I've witnessed it with you know on TV, that kind of thing, and television, is it's classic. It's uh, you know kind of that sand belt area, right? And it it, it plays fast typically. Um, the weather should be great. Uh, and and what I what I have seen, and then also what I've heard from those that have played it, you know, I mean, I'm not one to sit here and rank golf courses, but I mean, there's certain individuals that would argue that it's the best course they've ever played, and so I, I see that, I've heard that, and I'm not just saying that, you know, to make it up. I mean, it, it, it's it's legitimate, it's legitimate argument saying, you know what, Royal Melbourne is one of the best courses in the world. I hear it all the time. Um, I feel 
again, I feel privileged to be able to go down there and witness it. Unfortunately, I'm not on the team right now. So I'm going to have to prove myself big time if I want to get picked. And I just don't think that's going to happen uh, in the next, you know, couple months unless my game really turns around. So um, what I do know is that it's going to be a great venue, a tremendous venue, obviously a great host in Mark Hayes as well. Um, and then so obviously two unbelievable captains, right? I mean, their resumes are deep and, and wide and, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to be a part of it. Oh, you'll go places, Zach. <laughs> hey, um, before we ask you about Tiger and, and perhaps a bit of the cheeky stuff about the team, uh, how would you like to see the course prepared from an American perspective? And are you fearful that it might be prepared in another way? You know, I, that's a great question too. I mean, I, I, again, I, I think I could probably answer it better if I if I could get my feet on the on the on the venue. But you know, what I expect to see is Ernie picking his team, you're obviously looking at his team and saying, you know what, based on the team we have assembled, we want to do this. And he should, And he, if he has that ability. I mean, in other cups that I've witnessed, whether it's the Ryder Cup or, you know, a President's Cup over here, I would say that the team slash captain can kind of dictate to some degree, you know, using the superintendents, the, the greenskeepers, if you will, and, hey, we want to push the rough here. We want to narrow it here. We want to widen it there. We want we want it this high there, and et cetera, et cetera. Fast greens, slow greens, what what have you. Um, I mean, ideally, I think the team that, that looks like we're going to have at least their top eight, uh, I would like to see, you know, I mean, I want the fairways to be large. I want, I want the greens <laughs> to be fast, and I want it to be long. But, um, you know, I, I don't expect to see that necessarily. I, 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 I definitely think Ernie will, and he should, will, will go with, whatever's best for his team. I mean, that's the joy of having home field advantage, having a home court, having a home venue. You have to utilize that. I mean, we've done it and we'll do it. We'll do it again in the future. So the beauty of these cups is that, you know, every other year you're playing on, you know, either foreign or home soil. And that's, uh, that's, that's beautiful. So Zach, you're renowned as, uh, you know, a great fan favorite and, and very friendly and amenable to fans and, um, I'm interested in your thoughts because Ernie has, in a very polite way, of course, uh, he really is starting to try to rile up the international Australian supporters to become really international team supporters uh, and not percent potentially to give American team members a hard time, but just to make him feel a bit une- sure. uneasy, perhaps as it was for our guys in New Jersey back in 2017. Uh, are you expecting a bit of a uh, bit of lip over the rope, so to speak? Oh, I mean, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I, personally, I mean, I, you know, we, we all embrace and love the fact that we get to play, you know, on home soil every other year. I mean, it, it, or, you know, every other tournament, excuse me, every, you know, yeah. at Presence Cups. But I will say as a competitor and as a guy that just loves team sports, I mean, I would prefer, I would prefer to play on hostile ground. I love going into a place where they're respectful, but they're, they're very much in favor of the other team. I just, I love silencing them. I love <laughs> uh, how they get, can kind of get on you a little bit. And, you know, uh, it's always been something that's kind of gotten my competitive juices going. Um, I will say, you know, not to be overly cheesy, <laughs> even, even when we've had um, President's Cups in the States or whether it was Korea or, Canada, which I played as well. 
um, the Aussie fans turn out. I mean, there's some, there are some fanatics as, uh, as we know that are just, and they're beautiful. I mean, every time I've been associated with, I make sure I go over there and take a picture with them. Come on, Zach. These individuals (laughs) are so they're good spirited, but they're not beautiful. Well, okay. Well, well, well said. Well said. You said that. I didn't say that, but, uh, I'll say their voices are beautiful. How about that? Um, all right. Yeah, no, they're, uh, they're a lot of fun and, and, you know, you know, I'll, there's, there's, there's a lot of pride there, and, and you can't not appreciate that. So um, it, it's awesome. So uh, Tiger's a really good friend of the podcast. He, he, he calls in all the time, as you could imagine. Mm. So um, uh, he said it would be totally okay for you to spill a few boardroom secrets about what the likely makeup of the American <laughs> team is going to be. Um, yeah. so, so at the moment – Yeah, I'm sure right, he did. Yeah, right, <laughs> you, you can imagine, right? Uh, just running yeah. running down, we've got Brooks Kepka, Dustin Johnson, Justin Thomas, Xander Shawflay, Matt Kuchar, Webb Simpson, Bryson DeChambeau, and Patrick Cantlay all inside the top eight, which leaves an unbelievable yeah. wealth of riches for you guys to pick from outside that line. So nine, Gary Woodland, 10, Tony Finau, 11, Ricky Fowler, 12, Patrick Reed off a fresh, fresh off a win in the FedEx Cup playoffs, 13, Eldrick himself, 14, Shea Reavy, and 15, Phil Mickelson. I'm assuming Phil Mickelson isn't coming down, uh, but the rest of them are, you know, unbelievable candidates, and I'm sure there's more uh, in store too. Mm. Yeah, um, I mean, I mean, you look at that top eight. There's there's a lot of uh, firepower there. There's a lot of experience there, with the exception of uh, technically a couple guys. Um, you know that that you know at some point you got to get that experience, uh, but just quality, quality, consistent players there. I mean, Xander, what he's done the last, I'd even say, three years has yeah. been very impressive. Obviously, Patrick uh, Cantley hasn't been on a team yet, uh, but his, his play, especially in big tournaments, has been uh, very noteworthy. Uh, you know, I'd love to see my boy G-Dub, Gary Woodland, get a spot. Um, <laughs> certainly, uh, you know, he's had a lot going on as a late U.S. Open. They just gave birth to twins. Uh, yeah. I mean, there's a lot going on in his life, but He's a competitor and a true athlete. So, I mean, yeah, you go down. I mean, I, it, there's still a lot to be done. I mean, granted, the top eight will be solidified, um, uh, you know, after the BMW Championship uh, this next week. But, you know, there's still four picks, and that's not till shoot, I think early November, I want to say, maybe November 4th, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So a lot can transpire in that time, especially if some of these guys want to keep playing and keep trying to prove themselves. Um, I, you know, the, the, the one thing I do know and talking to Strick and talking to Freddie and obviously, uh, uh, Tiger, I mean, you know, we want hot hands. We want guys that, uh, when it's this late in our schedule, right. December being late for us, you know, we want guys that are, uh, certainly playing and, and staying competitive, but then also, you know, want to be on the team. I mean, you, you want guys that, that are going to go out there and try to prove themselves. Any one of these individuals that I see, certainly in the top 20, you could even keep going down if you wanted mm. to, have a distinct possibility because there's still so much golf to be played. We spoke earlier about the fanatics, um, Australians, the fanatical mm. Australians. I can put it more in yeah. general, general terms. I think we're sports nuts down here. We just we love sport. And when the news broke that Tiger was potentially playing, he basically called himself playing, mm. it went into meltdown. Mm. <laughs> I, I could say that quite clearly. Mm. What is the likelihood now? Obviously, 
uh, in light of last week. He, he may make it back out on the track this week. We, we hope, he, hope he does um, come back from um, this strain that he's sort of suffering through. What, in your view, if you can, do you, what's the likelihood of him, of him playing? Yeah, it's hard. It's a hard question. I mean, I, I do know this. I mean, this isn't going to surprise anybody. Uh, in the communication I've had with him as of late, you know, some of us guys are trying to text as much as possible. Uh, I don't think I'm revealing anything that's probably not known. He, 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 if he, as a competitor, as a golfer, as a player, as a professional, he wants to play in all these cups. He is mm. so invested. He was invested on teams that he wasn't a part of, mm. whether it was via text message, just encouragement. Um, I remember being in South Korea in 15 and receiving text messages from him that were just, you know, let's go, you know, let's get, let's, let's, Take him down. I mean, he, he is he is intense and invested. As a competitor, again, I keep saying that, he wants to play. But I do know he wants to make the team. You know, he doesn't want to have to get picked. Um, and, and when I say have to get picked, that's going to be a very difficult situation <laughs> considering he is the captain. So uh, we will cross that bridge if and when that, that uh, situation comes. But um, – you know, you're talking about the best player, certainly in the modern era of golf that I've ever played with. I mean, he's it's not even close. But um, and a guy that 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 you know, when healthy, and certainly when his form is decent, can win any and every week. Yeah. So mm-hmm. he's a true asset. He's a true, uh, you know, kind of barometer pusher, if you will, and and. Um, if he has, if he's in good form and healthy, I mean, you want him to play. So um, now I say all that, but this is his team, and and, and I'm sure Ernie would say the same thing with him. This is this is Tiger's team, and he, quite frankly, you know, we'll we'll open discussion, we'll we'll you know give advice or give our opinions here and there. But when it comes down to it, I I'm confident and I trust that whatever decision he makes is for the better of the team. Uh, I've seen it before, and he'll do it again. All right, Zach, let's stop beating around the bush here. You're, you, Stricker, no. Couples, and, and Tiger all in a room. Tiger says Tiger's fit, but he hasn't played. And you've got Reed, Fowler, Finau, and Woodland as the other alternatives for your, for your captain selections. You all think that they're in good form, and Tiger thinks he's still the man. How does that conversation <laughs> go? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, it would be a funny one knowing that we'd have Fred Couples in the room. Uh, <laughs> you know, that's, that's a good one there. You're, you're, you're talking about a lot of world-class players there. Uh, it, it, it would be uh, – it's so <laughs> hypothetical. I wish I could give you – I wish I could give you a true answer. I, I, don't, I don't know how I'd answer that one. I'm, I mean – don't go soft. Don't go. Don't go soft him. with him, Zach. Don't go soft with Tiger. I want you to play the hard cop yeah, here. No, I won't. Hey, hey, I'm I'm here to serve this team. I mean, you've got you know you've got guys that have worked hard to make this team and made it a priority. So I would be doing them a disservice if I did anything but put them in a posture and in, into a position, uh, you know, that wasn't a good one. So I, I'm, you know, pairings pairings be a part of that. Quite honestly, yeah. yep. you, you would break that down and say, "Hey, maybe experience. How many how many rookies do we have? And of the guys that we're looking at that we that are potential picks, how many of them have played in cups before? How many of them, when they played, who have they been paired with? What formats have they flourished in? What formats have they struggled in? I mean, you, you're going to break that down pretty hardcore. Um, and I think you know, I think that discussion with those guys specifically." 
uh, you know, us four guys, me, Tiger, Freddie, and Trick. I mean, we've been on so many teams, uh, and I don't know the, the number, but, I mean, I've been on nine that I can think of, and you're going to use that experience and some of the wisdom you've, you've gathered over the years to try to formulate the best plan for the team. Can I ask you one serious question about... That's so politically correct right there. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's unbelievable. I can't believe you did that to us. Uh, I was going to ask you one, one serious question about that. So, you know, obviously the Ryder Cup has a special place in not only in American golf, but in world sport. It's, a, it's the pinnacle event, really. Uh, is it important for you guys to consider blooding new players for future Ryder Cups? So I, I asked that in relation to Shay Reavy, who's obviously in outstanding form, but hasn't had the experience that some of the other guys have. Do you consider picking him just with one eye on the future? Well, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, certainly that kind of discussion is going to happen. I mean, yeah, you, you know, I don't, I don't think, I don't think it's going to be like, hey, you know what, we got to pick player A because you know what, he's probably going to make the team next year or maybe the following year or maybe the following year. What, what has to go into that is, what kind of form are they in? Yeah. What kind of game do they have based on the golf course that we're going to? And does this individual right now help this team make this team better yeah. versus player B, who may have played in five, you know, or six, whatever it is? You, you, the decisions that have, that are going to be made are going to be based on everything that's somewhat controllable, right? In the sense of, hey, we know who we have, we know it, we know what the golf course is going to bring. And we know what form they're in. Where can we plug them in? And if they can be plugged into this team uh, in pairings and all that, then then they're definitely going to be, uh, you know, looked upon as as a as a distinct candidate. There's also something to be said about experience. There's also to be said and said about experience when they played well too. I mean, what, what are their records? You know, I mean, mm. you got to look at that too. I mean, shoot, uh, it's one thing to play in these cup teams. It's another one to play in these cup teams and not play well too. So. Um, you know, you also want individuals that, you know, when it comes down to it inside the team room, uh, get along. I mean, it, you know, you're with your peers, your teammates for at least a week. And then, you know, leading up to that multiple days uh, and you want you want the chemistry, you want the camaraderie, you want, you know, a gelling of a sort. And and certainly individuals with a common goal of going down there to kick some and you know what? So. Uh, whatever individual has that, that's, they're going to be considered. You are a hard nut to crack, Zach Johnson. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure we're going to get any head, well, headlines what, out of you. What I'm alluding to here is, <laughs> I, I, you know, what I've learned and what I've, what I've seen is, you know, I mean, granted, the guys that are kind of in that 9 to 12, 13, 14 certainly are going to be considered, but you can keep going down the list, especially yeah. if those guys behind them are in good form. Yeah, nice. that's what I'm. That's what I'm trying to get at. Yeah, no, I, I, we totally understand. I'm just having a bit of fun with you. Just away from the Presidents Cup. And... I know, I know, I know. <laughs> just away from the Presidents Cup for a second. I love it, <laughs> <laughs> mate. Obviously, and we've talked about it earlier in the podcast. There's been a lot going on around um, pace of play issues, and it's very unlike your. Uh, you know, it's it's a it's a brotherhood. The professional band of players very rarely comes out against each other. Um, but there was a lot going on, as you're well aware. I'm sure particularly at the weekend, uh, as it happened this time around Bryson DeChambeau, but uh, in, in other instances, there have been other players. Have you got a thought on slow play and, and, and what needs to happen or what should happen in your eyes? Yeah, well, I mean, I think I probably side with the, the majority of the tour in the sense that, one, there is an issue. Two, how do we, how do we solve it? It's, 
very, very difficult and tricky. Now, I think the simplistic and the easy answer, and I don't disagree with it, is quite frankly, you get your warning, and then you got to start assessing shots. Once you start assessing shots, you're talking about their livelihood and their scorecard. <laughs> it matters. Mm-hmm. So I'm all for that. Now, doing that would require and change a lot on the PGA Tour. We'd have to have more rules officials. We'd have to have other things, you know, uh, logistical things happen. But it's it's feasible, and I'm all for it if it helps pace the play. Now, what I do know is when you start talking about pace of play, you start talking about uh, field size, you start talking about, you know, um, playing opportunities, you're starting to touch a number of different areas yep. uh, that make up the PGA Tour, and it becomes very trying and very difficult. Um, it, it, it's, it's a fickle, fickle subject, but in the end, this game does not need to be that difficult. It should be faster it should you know from a time standpoint it really should uh be very manageable i mean you know threesomes are difficult you get on a golf course that has four par fives and threesomes it's just going to be a long long day because you got par fives the guys are getting to you're waiting maybe a par four that's drivable It, it, it just happens but in twosomes on the weekend you shouldn't have much of an excuse i think we 100 percent back you in there too and i think from those day-to-day sort of procedures that you're talking about that uh, the governing bodies essentially need to be a little bit tighter in their policing of um, policies and, and procedures. Mm-hmm. That opinion of, of yours that we share yeah. with you, is that widely uh, shared amongst all of the players on, on the tour as well? Or is it, is it sort of a bit of a casing point with different uh, different people? Well, I, I, think, I think everybody's got a different opinion on how to, uh, I guess, manage the situation or fix the situation. I think you know the consensus. I can't speak on behalf of anybody else, but I, I would I would I would assume, which is probably not fair, that most guys would say, "Hey, we got to go quickly to a system that is, you know, one warning, whether you're on the clock, you're on the clock, and then it's, it's assessing shots immediately. I mean, that's the only way you're going to get pace of play to really speed up. Now I say that, but there's going to be a lot of, it's still going to be a lot of slow golf out there and guys will be able to take their time if we're, when we're playing threesomes on Thursday and Friday. We've got so many guys in the field. Our tee times are so bunched up. It's just going to happen. So if, if, if you really want to just get rid of the whole situation, you just, you, you take the field size from, you know, whatever it is, 144, 156 most weeks, and you just eliminate opportunities for guys to play. And then your tee times are spaced out differently and it, uh, that would also change it. I mean, you'd have a, a spacing from hole to hole, group to group, that's more manageable to play fast. Mm. Uh, you know, it, like I said, it touches so many different pieces of the PGA Tour or of golf that it's, it's, it's very trying and very difficult, um, especially when you're talking about individuals' livelihood. I'm not making excuses. It should be a sport. It should be a reactionary sport. When it's your turn to play, you should be ready. Zach, without asking, I would never ask you to name players. I mean, feel free to if you want to, but that's not what the point of this question is. You've been on the tour for 15, 16 years now, and obviously before that in other, on other tours as well. Do the people on the tour, the players, do they have a sense of um, an ownership of the game's health behind the scenes in club land back you know, around the world? Um, do they know that they're, how you guys 
address the ball, go through your routines, trickles down to junior players, etc., and has a big impact in, in normal club land? You know, I hope so. I mean, you know, the way, way I've always kind of viewed it, and, and you know, maybe, maybe this is a poor analogy or poor description, but I think it's pretty accurate in the sense, you know, the beauty of this game of golf is that anybody that wants to play it can go play it and essentially play the courses that we play. They can play in the same field, the same court, the same stadium, the same arena that we play. And quite frankly, they do that week, right, on the pro-ams and that yeah. kind of thing leading up to the Thursday. So it's a beautiful thing to be able to say, hey, let's go play golf, and then, you know what, I'm going to go compete this week on the same track. That's pretty cool. So they're watching us. I get that. We're, we are the face of the game, right? It's at times not a very pretty face, but we're the 1% of the 1% of the 1% of the 1%. I mean, so when it comes to the decisions of the game, in my opinion, uh, for the betterment of the game, for the betterment of the, that, that bigger percentage that love the game, we, we, we don't necessarily need to be uh, involved in that. However, however, again, they're able to play the same venues we are. They'll, they like to mimic and, and certainly imitate some of the things that we do because, you know, obviously we're the best players in the world, whether it's the PGA Tour, the European Tour, the Asian Tour, obviously down there in Australia. The best players in the game, it's, it's just like watching, you know, I guess, well, I don't know, Aussie rules football or up here football. You're, you're imitating the best players because yeah. they're the best players. Right. So, you know, you don't want to see, you don't want to see that, you know, those, those, those situations that get exacerbated because of slow play or bad conduct or whatever. I mean, that's, I know the PGA tour strives to put out a product that reflects uh, everything this game, what this game's about, you know, stewardship, uh, you know, pure integrity, uh, class, et cetera. I mean, that's, that's what we strive to do week in, week out, so that we can serve the, the, the many venues and markets and charities that we do. So, you know, it, it, it's a very difficult thing, but when it comes down to it, the premise is pretty simple. Um, I, I personally don't know what my peers think, but I know each and every time I go on the, on the golf course, that I'm representing a number of other individuals and I've got a number of individuals that are watching me that I don't have any idea who they are. So, mm. you know what? I'm fortunate to play this game. Let's represent it in the proper way. I am not perfect. I'm going to mess up a lot. However, I strive to be, you know, I guess, you know, the player that my kids will be, would, would appreciate. Yeah, that makes perfect mm. sense. Uh, now, we should let you go. We could probably talk to you all day, which you probably <laughs> wouldn't appreciate. But um, I'm going to put you on, on the spot a little bit one last time. Um, we'd love to see you down here playing in the Australian Open or the Australian PGA Championship before you decide that, uh, you know, it's not for you any longer. What are your thoughts about doing that one of these years? Maybe the President's Cup could whet your appetite. I want to do it, and I want to do it very, very, very badly. I mean, it, it's something my wife and I have discussed. Uh, we've got three children, and... When it comes to something like that, I mean, that's an experience, right? I mean, I know it's still just golf, but that's an experience. and It's an experience that I haven't taken advantage of yet. Um, but we want to bring our children. We want, to, we want to bring them down there and certainly show them uh, something other than, you know, the United States. I mean, uh, go to a, a venue, to a place that is, is rich in golf history, that uh, has tremendous fields, um, you know, as far as quality golf, and then also – uh, I want to compete. I mean, I, I just, I just love going to new places and competing. So it's a priority. Uh, when I don't know, but 
as we all know, I probably won't make that decision. I'm going to have to leave that one up to the boss um, and let her do it. <laughs> oh, that is a complete handball. I'm going to, I'm going to, when she comes down here with the President's Cup, I'm going to take the contracts to her. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> uh, Zach Johnson, you've been a pleasure and definitely got a good political career in front of you, I reckon, when you do decide to hang mm-hmm. up the sticks. You've yeah, done yeah, yeah, right. No, nah, no, nah, we really yeah, appreciate it. Yeah, don't vote for me because I ain't running, I can, I can assure you. <laughs> uh, thanks so much for your time, mate. We really appreciate it. It's always a pleasure to have Champions of the Game on our podcast. Thanks again. No, I appreciate you all. Thanks for having me, and uh, we'll see you all soon. Oh, it's been a privilege to sit back and have a listen to some of your <laughs> fine work today. You too, magnificent stuff. You tried. You just didn't have the outswinger going, did you? <laughs> I couldn't get there the edge. A, you, know, you just couldn't get one past his outside edge. You needed the Lord's Hill just to sort of you needed give, something. give me something extra. He's just a bit too good for you, isn't he? He was. He's just he's perfect straight bat. The technique was unbelievable. Uh, he's, he's probably, they probably had better than us, with all due respect, try to. Oh, really? Well, not many, not respect? many, not many, <laughs> not many, but others try. I shouldn't say better. I just say others. No, no, you're right. He's probably you're... had others try and ruffle his feathers. You were right the it. first time, Andy. Um, uh, that's yes. great. So, yeah, it was great to have him on. Really I mean, yep. I did try and pick apart some sort of semblance of what the American team room might look like, and that failed miserably. But, um, you know, to hear him speak of the riches of the American team makes me sick as an international team supporter, as we told mm. him we were going to be biased. So... He won't expect anything different when he listens to this back. Um, we talked about the American team during that interview. The Australian team changed a little bit uh, at the weekend. Uh, unfortunately, we, we touched on Jason Day before. It came on the back of a um, you know a missed cut uh, in New Jersey. Mm. Uh, he's fallen outside the top eight, which who are automatic selection. Not that I think it's going to play any part because he'll always get the nod. But for the time being, uh, Mark Leishman is still rock solid at number one. Louis Oosthuizen, two. Adam Scott, three, on the back of a really good finish there. Um, Fifth place, big run home in the final round at at, uh, Liberty National. Uh, Hideki Matsuyama, uh, but the big move from outside the top eight, he was actually 10th, is our Australian Open champion uh, reigning, Mm. Abraham Anser of Uh, Mexico. Uh, Moved from 10th to 5th with a great second place there behind Patrick Reid. So that's, that's, I'm really encouraged by that because I, I think he really enjoyed his time here last year and he definitely enjoyed the crowd. So that's a good result as far as I'm concerned. I'm sure Abraham loves hearing my um, personal I'm, I'm sure he feels the same way. Yeah, you know, I'm sure so, he does yeah, too. Yeah. Uh, Hao Tong Lee uh, still at number six. Cameron Smith at seven and CT Pan from, from Taiwan at number eight. Um, so those on the outside, Andy. Jason Day at nine. Uh, Jazz Janawatonanond at ten. That was pretty good from me. Justin Harding at 11, if I'm <laughs> giving myself a pat on the back. Sunjay Im uh, at number 12. Then Shugo Imahira, Sung Kang, and Ben Ahn. A mix of Korean okay, and Japanese right. players yep. at the bottom there. So, yep. um, it's going to be interesting. I know that I, I did hear a sneaky little whisper. This is, uh, this is an Inside the Ropes exclusive, Andy. I did hear a sneaky little whisper that Ernie Els has been talking to Aaron Baddeley. No, really? Yeah. So I wouldn't from a playing perspective. From a playing perspective. So I wouldn't put it past Ernie. I'm not saying that he's gonna pick him. Wow. Gee whiz. But I, I will say to you that he's not just looking at the top twelve, thirteen, fourteen players and going, That's me. Apparently, Ernie's doing all sorts of analytics. I I, I, I don't even know what they are. Scoring averages and all this sort of stuff, but also um personality. Yeah, okay, right. And tests yep, and yep, things yep. like this. So he's not just going to say, uh, all right, the traditional Ben Ahn, you, you know, you need to play with another Korean yeah. competitor, all that sort of stuff. He's actually 
really going in depth. So the team we see when Ernie rolls them out, uh, it's going to be fascinating to me because if he picks someone from the boonies like Bads, yeah. he'll he'll either be a legend for it yeah. or he'll be a complete yeah. you-know-what. Well, that's right. I mean, he could ruffle a few feathers, couldn't he, if he picks one who's way down the yeah. qualification order but has a sense of something that's going to work based on yeah. gut feel or some so, other metric that he's using. So a little unfortunate for Bads that he had to withdraw. He had a, um, a, a nagging back injury. I think they just said, get it right. You know, yeah, Don't yeah. risk okay. it now yeah. on something yeah. that you're probably not going to make it to Chicago and on to Atlanta for the Tour Championship. So get it right. Have a crack in what they call their fall series, uh, and we'll, we'll see how you go. So that'll be interesting. There's a bit of a, a bit of gossip for well, you, Joey. That could be very interesting. Would not have put all my, you know, all my house and earnings, and you know, all, all that. All of it. Uh, well, yeah, I would definitely not have. That vast fortune. Close. That vast fortune of yours. <laughs> yeah, that's vast. Yes, it's very it is vast. Very, with a capital yeah. V, that one. So we might as well wrap up the the rest of the PGA Tour related stuff, Andy, yep. if you don't mind. No, so no. Jason Day, as we say, missed the cut. Aaron Baddeley withdrew. Matt Jones was the best outside Adam Scott, of course. Uh, ended his season at 108 on the FedEx Cup, which is a great result. Well played, Matty yep. Jones. Um, he obviously joined us last week. Mark Leishman was cut. Cam Smith finished tied 59th. That means the end of Cam's season. Mm. Uh, it doesn't make it to uh, to Chicago, unfortunately. Um, or is it is it Chicago next week? I think it is. It's Chicago for the, um, what's it called? The BMW Championship. Yes. So he's, he's finished. Adam Scott is now 14. Mark Leishman, 16. And Jason Day is 50-0. So... He needs to uh, do something special there to yep. make his way to the Tour Championship, yep. which is the top 30. Okay. Uh, on the Canadian Tour, uh, up the road, uh, Ruben Sonjaja was uh, the, uh, made, the only Aussie who made the cut there, uh, tied for 23rd, so a good result there for the New South Welshman. I guess more pressing, Andy, though, was the uh, Corn Ferry Tour, the KFT, as we like to call it here on Inside the Ropes. Oh, I found myself watching way too much of this. I get yeah. sucked into this. Uh, once it was disappointing. Coletta was making a bit of a move um, from outside the cut line halfway through his second round, but then he just made a really bad bogey on a par five about yeah. the 11th. He just dunked a 100-metre wedge short right into the pot. He was in a really – he made a couple of birdies and was just getting himself – the cut line eventually was two under, and he was – I think he got himself to one under and was really getting himself into a good position. And then he went bo- bogey, bogey, and that, that bogey on the par five came from nowhere. It was just such a really – and he played a, he played a wedge shot on about the sixth or seventh, a couple of holes before it to about six feet and made the birdie putt. So he would have been feeling good with yeah. that club in his hand. Um He'd be kicking himself, I reckon, for that. Oh, he will. And there yeah. were so many I, – I need to find this, actually. There were so many guys around him. Like, we always say it's not just about, um, you know, the person at 25. It's about what happens around them. Um, and the pressure of that situation is is just immense. I don't know if we ever really fully understand that. But this is what happened, Andy, for those around the bubble on um, at in yeah. the Portland Open. Yeah. Player ranked 21, missed the cut, 22, missed cut, 23, tied 36, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, and 30, all missed cut. Gee whiz, that's unbelievable. That's the, that's the real yep. genuine tension of golf, <clears throat> mm. um, as opposed to the, some of the stuff we see on the PGA Tour up above them, because mm. that, that, that's, mm. that's the real important stuff that really Slugger should be caring about. <laughs> yeah, I oh, know. It's a, it's a fast look. They, they play, anybody who watches a lot of the second tier, they play a lot of... Bad golf courses. They play a lot of really bland golf. 
in front of no one, you know, not a lot of names you know, all of that sort of stuff. So on a weekly basis, it can be a bit of a grind. But when it gets to you know the 25 mm. jobs on the line, it does become – it's absolutely compelling. It really is. It really and is. So we we, uh, we unfortunately lose Brett Kletter out of the top 25. Jamie Arnold couldn't quite make it there. Uh, they both missed the cut. Uh, their regular season standings, Coletta 27th and Arnold 38th. Both get them into the Corn Ferry final. So yep. they've got another uh, few weeks here to make their way onto the PGA Tour if they can play, play well enough. So another the 25 finals. cards. Another 25 yep. cards are available, yep. but they also get back players from 126 to 200 yep. on the PGA Tour. So they, you know those guys drop back, these guys push up and have another crack. So uh, Cam Percy is still exempt for the for the 2020 KFT. But the big news, as we've uh, we can you know confirm, is what we knew all along. Rian Gibson, uh, T11, another great result. Um, Lismore, Bendigo. I don't know who's going to claim him this week. But, <laughs> Australia, uh, Australia. He's earned his PGA Tour card back again. Uh, he finished 11th this week and 10th overall, and that's a great effort. Yeah, well, well played, absolutely. Here, here, no doubt. Uh, any other bits and pieces before we get out of here? Plenty, and you don't. I'm not oh, shying away from the quiz. We We're going to get a ring on. We're running out of time here for this quiz. I, I do know, know but <laughs> this. Let me just quickly exactly. run through in the US Women's Amateur. Other than Gabby, we already spoke about Dowie Choi and Steph Kiriaku both made uh, match plays. That was a good result. Uh, Minji Lee really found her form at the uh, the Ladies Scottish Open. Um, an incredible set of weather conditions there in in the first couple of rounds. And she was completely dudded by the draw she had. So uh, one of very few people on her side of the draw to push into the top 30 and she finished tied sixth. So huge effort by Minji Lee, 64, 67 on the weekend. Suo 13th, Catherine Kirk 35th and Hannah Green 55th. So that was a good result there for the women as well. Uh, We've touched on a lot of the other things. Uh, That's about it as far as noteworthy performances. But Andy... We Here put we out. Go. We put you know, out. Are you, are you, got, uh, are you involved in this? on me, but I'm. I'm happy to. Um, do I play referee? Yeah, that's a really good idea. Okay, I'll play referee. Yeah, happy. Very happy, Joe, for you to rule on some of these. But I've put out on Inside the Ropes Twitter account, which is at Inside the Underscore Ropes. Uh, if everyone wants to play along at home, Andy fancies himself as a bit of a man of the people. Oh, don't do this to me. So I think just we've setting what, me up to be humiliated. What we've got here is a tweet originally from Tiger Woods of the bulk of the American President's Cup team um, ha- having a bit of a pre-tournament meeting at the Northern Trust in New Jersey, Andy. Yeah, a lot of white um, teeth and a lot of smiles, Hazy. There are, and then not, uh, with a couple of exceptions, guys in golfing attire, which is normally a giveaway because you might look at Uniqlo and know it's Adam Scott, for example. Can you go through from left to right on this picture? I know this isn't a great podcast, but go along, get the picture off Tiger Woods Twitter or inside the underscore ropes, play along and see if you can get all the American Cup players. Do you know them all? I do. Righto. Uh, righto. Uh, From the left. Thomas, Cantlay, Woodland, Streelman. No. No. Who's that? You can come back to that right. one. Oh, yeah. uh, Woods, Shawfly, Johnson, Reed. Oh, Jesus. No idea. Kuchar. Yeah, hang on. What? <laughs> you don't know who that next person to read is? Oh, that's Brooks. Yeah. She's <laughs> the world number one, Andy. Does he look Not too as, short? He does look too short. <laughs> he's, a, so, he's only he's got st- an inch on Patrick Reed. Well, he's standing behind uh, the um, next bloke you said was Kuchar. Yeah, Kuchar. And, and the next bloke is? I, I'm going to say he's Rafael. Um, um <laughs> <laughs> What's his name? This uh, is worthwhile doing. Come on, come on, uh, Tony Finau. Oh, ref, Kevin, you're not meant uh, to give him help, ref. The, the slow bloke. 
uh, Ricky Fowler. Who's that bloke? Behind it's, Ricky Fowler? Yeah. Uh, oh, so I always say that this bloke looks like Kieran Pratt. We always get Pratty's a good friend of mine. Yeah, okay. We always say that Pratty looks like. It's yeah. not Webb Simpson. It's, it is Webb Simpson. It is Webb Simpson. Well is it right, eh? Uh, Phil. Uh, this is the big test for you. Yeah, I know this bloke. Do you? Yeah, Horschel's at the end. Um, so you've got two missing. That you've... Who's this bloke? I can't let too much dead air go on here, Andy. Go it on. won't make a good podcast. No, we'll go back to the bloke. You've done pretty well. So the third, fourth from the left, you said was... I said Streelman. Streelman. It's actually uh, Kevin Kisner. I meant to say Kisner. <laughs> But I Strillman meant to say, came out. I meant to say Kisner. That's yeah, sorry. Go yep. So yep. I got uh, no. Uh, no. I know this bloke. You're going to put me out of my misery. Who and is between it? Billy Horschel and Phil Mickelson, second from the right, yeah. is Shay Reevy. No, I wouldn't have got that. No, no. no, wouldn't have got that. You did really well. Did I, I do all right? under the gun with no warning? God, that was. Oh, what? It's clearly Israel Folau is in the American <laughs> Prisoners <laughs> Cup. <laughs> And Brooks Kepka. Although that, that is, doesn't look like Brooks Kepka. Yeah, when when the did you expect him to be taller inside the rope pundit? Uh, yeah, uh, he must be sitting down. No, I reckon he is. No, he's actually in the land of the giants. There, Johnson uh, is huge. Tony Finau is a yeah. beast of a human. But I would have thought and that Kuch is tall. But I would have thought Kepka was six three. But he's clearly not. No, he'd be shorter than me. Um, so he's got a touch of the um, what's his name's about the actor who always makes you know Jack Reacher, Mission Impossible. What's his name? Oh, come on. Yeah, yeah. like married to the Australian Tom girl. Cruise. With Kurt, yeah, Tom he, he always makes sure he plays with alongside really short actors because he's at five yeah. foot eight. Like um, sliced alone in all the rugby. There you go. There you go. Exactly. And yeah. John Claude Van Damme. See, now we're getting to my. John Claude Van Damme's <laughs> about two foot three. So. Right. <laughs> so was that okay? Do I pass? Yeah, you get a pass right. mark there. I'll give Shay you. I'll give Reavy. you a B minus. Mm-hmm. That's unbelievable. I would have given you a B plus, except for Tony Finau. <laughs> uh, hasn't got much of an allegiance to the Wallabies. He's rough. And he's again, probably, he's rough, hasn't probably a decent bloke, too. <laughs> um, anyway, anyway, anyway. I apologise uh, for the length of this podcast. You too. If, if, you, if, you, if you're driving along and you've had four commutes to get all this <laughs> right. done. Um, uh, but we, we've, we've had a big week. Hopefully you stuck with us all the way through to the end. And hopefully you did better in the quiz than I did. Uh, good work by you, Joe Charlton. Thanks, boys. Good work by you, Mark Hayes. Thanks, Murray. Thanks for you lot for listening as well. This has been Inside the Ropes, episode number 115. Back next week to do it again.